Welcome to Straight Edge, the podcast. My name is Clive Allwright, and along with my amazing guests and co-hosts, we're going to be having some brutally honest and sometimes confronting conversations around all things of addictive behavior. Now, as it happens, I've been a hairdresser for 37 years, and during my career, I've met many people just like me that have also struggled in the many different areas of addiction. So our main focus of this podcast is to chat with as many people as possible from the hairdressing, barbering, and media industries, along with some pretty smart people that work in the fields of addiction to get a deeper understanding of why so many of us struggle with the balance of family, careers, health, and the day-to-day pressures of life. So if this sounds like an area you'd like to dive deeper into, make a cup of tea, sit back, and listen to Straight Edge, the podcast. Hello, and welcome to Straight Edge, the podcast. Now, this is a bit weird because I've just finished recording Eden Sassoon's podcast with Louise May, which is amazing. But When we jumped on to record the beginning, I did the intro and we were all busy battling internet issues and bits and pieces. And when we finished the most incredible interview with Eden Sassoon, what Eden said off camera, I thought was so powerful. And I wanted to jump in and do another intro to introduce our guest on today's, today's show. So Eden shares her incredibly brave story of addiction, alcoholism that she's battled with and her family's battled with her whole life. And one of the things she said at the end, which I think is very powerful, is that carrying her father's legacy, the Sassoon name was built around perfection. The whole brand is about perfection. And as we know that our lives, each and every one of our lives are far from perfect. So I truly believe that the interview you're just about to hear is Eden's legacy and and how the legacy that she's now moving forward to carry. And I think it's incredibly brave and powerful and will reach many, many people in many years to come. So enjoy this episode. I certainly enjoyed doing it with Lou. And um, sit back and uh, listen to Aidan Sassoon. I'm super excited to be doing this episode today, like I am with all episodes, but we have certainly overcome some challenges to get this episode off the ground today. (laughs) Myself personally and Lou, we have tried to do this so many times, but due to the internet that we have in rural Australia, we have been at the mercy. So before we get started, I just want to say a special thank you to ZZ from IINet in South Africa that I've spent five hours on the phone with this morning (laughs) to get my internet up and working. And I did say that I would give her a mention on the podcast. So if you're listening, you were amazing. That was like, uh, I think it was a third of my day gone on the phone, but we got there in the end. Lou, you've been, you've had fires and not fires, but floods that wiped out your internet storms. Um, oh no, ele- an electrical storm caused it caused also- a surge right out to the road. So um, we have got an amazing guest. Now this head, this podcast is geared towards the hairdressing, barbering, and media industry. And if you are in the hairdressing and barbering world and you have not heard the word the the name of Sassoon. You must be living under the ocean somewhere, which if you are, then I'll see you soon being an ocean swimmer. But Eden Sassoon, thank you so much for joining us today all the way from Los Angeles. Um, I have followed your journey um, for, for many years. You were one of the very first people that I knew that got sober. So uh, I know you've had some serious challenges, well, like all of us have had with addiction. And thank you for coming on and sharing your story with us today. We're super excited to chat to you. How are you? I'm wonderful, and thank you both for having me, um, for just allowing me the space and, and wanting to hear, um, being part of change, you know, and sharing your story always helps someone else, and that's that's why I do. You know, and thank you, you know, because I, 
as I mentioned, I knew that you were sober for I think it was nine and a half years, and then I saw recently on on um, on social media you've definitely had some um, horrible challenges to overcome, and I know we're going to get to that. Um, and yeah. um, I know you're living right in the, in the midst of LA, and it's um, it's an incredible place to live, but it can also it can eat many of us up, right? I think um, me included. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the, just the energy alone here. You don't have your 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 just for today sort of what you're set out to do, and you follow through with that on consistent being consistent. Then you can kind of get very lost in in the shuffle of many avenues and paths. Sure. So take us back. What was it like growing up? Um, where did all this start as being the daughter of the f most famous man in, in hairdressing? Had, had, what was it like growing up um, you know, as Eden Sassoon? I mean, the words that come, because you remember, right? So my story is going to be told from the perspective of where I'm at right now in life. And right sure. now I'm back in, in intense recovery as far as uh, doing the work. And so while I'm doing that work, there's a lot of emotion that comes with that and healing and then just learning how to be present. So there probably will be a lot of emotion telling this story, but it also is coming, you know, it, there was so much joy, but there's also a lot of, a lot of sadness and a lot of, um, so many people around and yet felt so alone. Mm. But dad, dad was, you know, you look at an addict, right? You look at an addict's mind and you see that they're sort of like this to whatever the addiction, wherever the addiction is at that point. And let's sure. not kid to be one of one of the best in your craft, you know, you're you're like this. And and that's great because he set out and he did what he wanted to do. But when you, you know, have a wife and you have children and you have life right so the bills and and everything and that on top of it i can't i honestly can't imagine at this day and time of my life like having to to be him but so i would i think that some of my sadness probably comes from what dad was feeling at the time and the pressure that was upon him to live every single day at your best and that's what he did. He showed up every day and the pressure was on and whether it was exercise or, you know, the way that he communicated with others or the way that he ran his business or wanted to teach the craft or give back or, I mean, you, the food that he ate, the drinks that he didn't have, the, the, the control in his life um, was, was at the ultimate high. And that's what made him so great. And yet on the mm -hmm. other side, you know, of course, the king of the kingdom is going to affect everybody in it. And I happen to be the baby of the family. So, um, you know, I don't blame, I mean, it was magical. It was wonderful. But do I have dreams of what it would be like to be raised as um, the girl next door? But then am I so grateful for what I've been given? Because obviously I was, I believe in a higher power and that God brought me here for a specific reason. And I am right where I'm supposed to be today with all the pain, you know, mm -hmm. and being dad's daughter. And so there's messages in it. Like there's more that I have to do. There's more that I have to say. There's more that I have to share and give. Um, and so, you know, at the end of the day, having even said all of that, it's, it's a magical experience. It's a gift. And at the same slide of every sort of gift is, a tiny bit of a curse, but, but who am yeah. I to say that? It, you know, it, it, it's really was a blessing being able to see this, this gentleman in, in his, 
like glory of it all and the amount of work that it took. And you know, growing up as a kid, I didn't see it like that. I saw it as dad was just busy. Dad traveled all the time. Everybody sort of wanted to take pictures and, and talk to him. And, and he cut hair and he came home and he sang songs and he took up all these extravagant, beautiful places, but then also showed us the other side of it. And what, you know, the real meaning of, of sort of life because he came up from nothing and, and get a job when you're 15 and do well in school. And, you know, the pressure was on to be better than sort of just happy. And, and I now just try to want to be happy. Eden, there's a saying that the, the opposite of addiction is connection. How do you feel about that? Do you, do you feel that that's something that you lacked? Uh, you're going to make me cry. Um, yes. But it was all around, but I didn't have the tools and everyone was very busy. And, and remember, I come from a woman who's a recovering alcoholic. So, you know, it's nobody's fault. And the one room, the one who did sort of was capable of being Gracie. Sorry, my dog is having a few feelings about this conversation. Um, <laughs> you know, my, my uh, nanny who raised me, helped raise me, she was capable of connecting with me. And that was profound for me because as, as not everybody knows, we, I lost my sister to addiction and then just recently, we'll get into that. I'm sure my brother to addiction. So one of my brothers. So, you know, connection is everything. And that at the age of 50 is what I'm learning. I'm learning mm -hmm. to have relationships, successful relationships and showing up for myself, showing up for others, but then also showing up for like the commitments that I make and just a, 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 a life, right? A life that I had this sort of signed contract with God that someone else was going to do for me, that I would open these businesses and hire somebody to take that job. When that's not what I saw, well, that's not true. I did see my dad said, Gracie, you're only as good as the team, right? So I thought I could put a team in place and not do all the work and just show up as me and spread the love. No, no, I was very, very, very wrong. So yes, I think the connection in, in every sense of that word is, um, is what we all look for and need in life whether it's addiction or not without connection whew, it's um it, yes eden you mentioned you you were the baby of the family and you and for those um those of us that don't know that this sort of framework of the family you mentioned your mum was an alcoholic um and you've lost a couple of siblings unfortunately through due to addiction do you, do you want to just talk a little, a little bit about that because for those of us that, that are not aware so for instance I didn't know that you'd you'd I know recently you'd lost a brother I didn't know you'd lost a sister as well so I'm so sorry to hear that if you're okay talking about that of course um my sister from five years older than me so she'd be 55 and so she started at the age you know I can't really tell her story for her but I remember it was around my parents got divorced and she was 12 and things started to sort of you could see what was going on. She lived a very fast, mature life very quickly. And I don't know yeah. that my mom or dad had the tools to um, control this wild child. And I don't know that control is the right word, but raise her in the sense that what she needed. And, yeah. and to be able to, for them again, right? We just talked about someone who was at the top of his game and, and he literally had blinders on. So he sort of had to set out to to have other people in place to raise this family and yet did the best job he absolutely could. So I, by no means do I blame anyone in the family. Um, so I don't think, I think Kat was on a mission um, and like that she wanted to be an actress and a model 
and was her own worst critic, um, worst enemy. And I think she had that same, you know, empty hole that, that addicts, that people have and that will look for outside something to fill it. And hers happened to be drugs and alcohol and men let's and food. Hold on. I can keep going. <laughs> it's not funny, yeah. but it's funny. You know? yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's, it's relatable too, you know? Um, it, it's, you know, she suffered from it. She really, really, really struggled from it. And I, she, and then she had this, you know, back then mental illness wasn't talked about, but you could see mm. like, had she been on maybe the proper medication or more, I don't know that some more self-care or internal meditation or 12-step program because she was in and out all the time would have helped, I think, more medication. I don't know. You know, they say if you don't get it, you don't get it. Um, but it was a, a, a brutal battle for her to find peace. Really, really, really brutal. And so she had three marriages. She had three children. She has three children. She has a granddaughter that she doesn't know about. Well, I'm sure she does at some point. She's she's watching over her. And her name's Katia, mm. and she lives in South Africa. Um, she she had a full life, but it, addiction got her. And at some point, it's interesting because the Katia who passed and David who recently just passed from addiction, those were the two so-called black sheep of the family. You know, you always have those ones that, oh, they're always the ones looking to do the bad stuff. You know, yes, I was, am an alcoholic, but I looked good on the outside. I, you know, had the business. I had the husband. I had everything was put together sort of perfectly. I was managing my unmanageability and really just dying inside slowly. Um, and so my brother, who recently just passed away September 14th, um, it's it's really tragic. It's sad because, you know, we we... We thought he had another life in and there was more that he could have done and obviously this disease will get you and chew you up and spit you out. And we we don't really know the toxicology reports. Uh, he had a surgery and I think it got septic and so I don't know all the, the, the details that really took him out. Um, but he was an addict and his life was, he was maybe on his way to being homeless. Um, his girlfriend who he had for the last four years is an addict. I don't even know where or how she is right now. And of course I care from one addict to another, or, but it's not for me to sort of, you know, find her and fix her life by any means. But, um, I think the message here talking about them and, and, you know, and I'm happy to go into any detail. I think that what I can do in my life is, you to share and show up and learn and it's not easy you know you you come into mm -hmm. this program and you take step one and that's feeling to realize that you are powerless over this dis-ease like powerless yeah. and so yeah. like, you can kind of wrap your brain around what do you mean i don't this is a disease it's like if you told me god forbid i had cancer you know it's something that i cannot manage and that 24 hours at a time i have to continue to check in and work the 12 steps and or 10 you know the program um and realize that is way bigger than eden's will and turn it over to what i call god a high, a high whatever you want to call it call it but there sure. is something that connects us all that is bigger than all of us and first of all i just want to say eden i'm so sorry to, to hear of your brother um 
recently uh, passed away and also your sister. As we said on the beginning of this podcast, like the, it, there's no boundaries when it comes to addiction, right? It's just, and one of the things that I really struggled with when I first got into the program, once, once I put my hands up and said, okay, I'm powerless, was I struggled with two things. I described this struggled with them calling it a disease because I my mum died of a cancer and I didn't see myself in that same realm and I and I I struggled with calling myself an addict or an alcoholic two years down the track because I figured well if I stop smoking I'm no longer a smoker but now four years later and I know you've spoken about this briefly about not working the program I now realize that when we refer to it as a disease it's the mental side of my head that if I don't keep in check, will catch me out. It's baff- cunning, baffling, and powerful. This 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 disease, as we know, right? Um, but I also know that if I leave it, and if I can jump around a little bit here, but you mentioned you were sober for nine and a half years, and when you're not working the program, there's a great example of how this sitting in the corner, this disease, oh, this addiction is doing press ups, waiting for us because it will tell you. And now, I, now I actually get. When I say when I say I'm a grateful recovering addict alcoholic, because I know that, and we mentioned this on a previous podcast, you don't fix the roof to something when it's raining. When when your life is going well, that's when you have to pr- practice the program and practice the, the the things that happen with recovery more and more and more. And you know, exactly. And I, you know, and I, I hate. I know it's very fresh in my mind, but that Matthew Perry audio book. You know, I I listened to I think it was sixty eight detoxes that he went through, and and the, just the pain, and I'm like, um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just no. so prevalent in so so many of our lives. But you know, and and it's becoming more and more clear that it's a it, we know it's a problem, we know it's everywhere, but it's now just sort of unfolding in so many people's lives, and they're willing to talk about it. People, you know what I mean, as far as in in the realm of which I don't buy into, so I hate to even say this, but you know Matthew Perry made a big big splash. I mean, he people know him all around the world, and you mm. know what? That's interesting because you know when Dad was passing, he was he came from the generation of no, I, nobody needs to see me like this or hear me like this or you know watch all of that. And I said, Dad, you can impact hundreds of thousands of people's lives that might possibly be going through something like this or of this nature. And that wasn't, and I respect it, right? Because I will live out loud. I will live in the disease or God forbid something that I'm going through or struggle with to help the lives of others. You know, whereas some people just like to leave it leave it said and, and, and tucked in and, and pretty, you know, I mean, and, and look, mm. living under the slogan for a lifetime, if you don't look good, we don't look good. It makes complete sense. Um, mm. But the more I get into the mind of an addict, that being myself, I can see where this comes from in the generations, you know, that, that above me. Um, and, and it's interesting. So what? no, please. Yeah, I, I get it. So if I may, nine and a half years down being under your belt of being sober. Can I ask what, what it was that led to a relapse? How did that pattern go? Um, it was, you know, 
it really caught it really caught me off guard. Really, really caught me off guard because I even went as far as to have a conversation with, for the most part, everybody that I knew besides two people that I knew my family and say, "Are you out of your mind?" I left them mm. out. I talked to my mother. I talked to my brother. I talked to my ex-husband. I told my children. I talked to everybody. But let's remember, they had seen me this way for the most part, managing my life. Um, for nine and a half years. So they didn't think it was a bad idea, right? But remember, mm. everybody besides my mother and she wasn't actively working the program. She just is absent from alcohol. And, and um, it seemed to be an okay idea in everybody's mind. And let's remember, even when I did drink for the 10 months that I was out, my life was still manageable. And that's not what it's right. about. But Because on the inside, every day I was dying. And prior mm. to taking that drink, I remember saying something to my son, just pain. I think pain of not, you know, having three businesses, right? Two had just gone under because COVID and those were the, mm. the Pilates studios. And I think I was ready for that at the time. I didn't know what would happen when they were actually gone. I mean, here my identity attached to businesses is gone, which was needed, obviously. Again, I'm in the right yeah. place at the right time. So exactly where I am today, stripped of all yeah. of this exactly where I should be. But then I saw it as like, wait a minute, not that I failed in these businesses, because I can tell you exactly what to do. If you want to open a salon, I can tell you exactly what not to do. I am the poster yeah. child of what not to do. And how if yeah. you want to lose a lot of money, call me, and I'll tell you how not to, <laughs> or what, again, what not to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think is an invaluable lesson, a very expensive lesson. But I now have that under my belt. Um, I think yeah. so the salon leaving, um, my studios clothing, closing, my COVID going on, but yet I thought I was happy at home and just doing Pilates. I wasn't working my steps, my program, my spiritual side of things. I was slowly, slowly, slowly getting further away into my own will, thinking that this was a good idea. And this was a yeah. good idea sober, right? That's what we say. Like, oh, this is my genius idea when I'm sober. There's a lot of wrong thinking up here, but yet I have yeah. this gene in me that's like, okay, well, you're going to control your, you know, the size that you are. So you're going to do Pilates every day, all the time. You're going to control whatever it was that I could control on the outside I would, until, you know, I would find something that would kind of take, take me out. And at that time, I think I was lonely. All the typical things that we probably go through on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm lonely. Yeah. I was probably spending too much money. I was eating too much, but trying to control it. I wasn't able to have relationships. My kids were growing up. You know, you name it, it was happening, and I didn't have the tools to function with everyday life. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Aiden, when, when did it start? When did the issues start? Was it teenage years? Was it? I was 15. And, and so when I was uh, 11, my dad sent my brother and I the one. So the one that passed, his name is David, just because Elon was in the business for many years. And I don't want everyone to think that, that, you know, the one brother yeah. that they did probably well is gone. Um, so my brother, David and I, my father sent us to um, the joke is we call it fat farm, but it's Weight Watchers camp. And um, we got flown there and spent a month there. So this started, food started at a very young age because I had to, I wanted to eat my feelings. I wanted to shove it down. I wanted to feel like I wasn't alone and that everybody around me, there wasn't 
chaos going on. And I turned to food for safety. And so then dad would recognize that maybe I was getting a little overweight or something was happening. And, and by the grace of God, all he wanted to do was good for his kids. So it was like, what can I do? Is there a camp I could send them to? Is there a trainer I could get for them? Is there, a, what can I do? I'll do it for you. Right. So in his mind, he was really doing the right thing, but he sent us to Weight Watchers camp and that was brutal. That was brutal. I didn't want to leave home. I didn't want to be away from my family and my friends that were my safety net too. Um, and I, and they take you away from all your favorite food. I was like, I was, I was going crazy. I would sing the McDonald's theme song every day, which is ridiculous, yeah. but it's, it's, it's the disease in full action. Um, and so that started with food first. And I always had this, just the relationship. Remember, this is a disease of obsession compulsive of the mind. So, and a relationships that are completely unmanageable. So I never had relationships. They either sent me here to get fixed, send me to therapy to talk about my feelings. Everything was trying to be controlled. I couldn't just feel what I was feeling and understand why. So first it was food and then I was 15. You know, we started in LA, we would go out and, and start to have fun. Well, the minute, the first night I drank, I was too, I was a different person. And everyone who saw me that night was, you're going to be like your sister. You're going to be like your mom. What is going on? And I, I kind of checked mental note. And I knew it was going to be a problem at that point. The first drink I took led to, I knew that night that, that I immediately, but I liked it. I was like, oh my God, this is free. This is fun. This is like, I get to feel my feelings and, and it's okay. Blame it on the alcohol. Yeah. So it started really, really, really early. And now it manifests itself in different ways that people would be like, are, are you, are you Okay. <laughs> So like, what, what, what led you to get sober this time? So you were, you mentioned that you were managing, you were doing your own thing, you were doing life Eden's way. And then was there a catalyst to go, right, I can't, I got to stop well, this and get. Yeah, the, between here, the voices were getting louder and louder and louder and like attacking me more. And the depression was setting in and I'm thinking, what's going on? Why am I more depressed? Why am I more depressed? Oh, you started drinking. And I had made a deal with myself and everybody who I had called and told them that I was going to drink that when and if this behavior came back and it got out of control, then I would stop. And so I waited 10 months. When it got out of control, my last weekend I was in Las Vegas. Nothing good happens in Las Vegas. Um, yeah. and, and things happened. Um, and thank God that I was dating someone, number one red flag, that I didn't like. And that this poor soul, like, that's just part of my disease. Hey, who can I pull in to, you know, shove my feelings down? And when I'm ready, I'm going to, bye. Um, yeah. He took care of me. And, and I'm so grateful that he, that I was safe because it could have been really ugly. Um, and I woke up on Easter day, actually four and nine. Here's Friday date. I wear it early. Um, and I said, this is it. I, th this is it. I, I cannot, I'm so sick and tired of myself. I can't even hear my brain think anymore. Like it's brutally painful. And, and I said to him, I, I, I am making a life decision and everything is going to change. Like I was just sober for nine and a half years and obviously nothing changed this time around. I'm going to do the work and it's brutal. But I'm so grateful at the same time. And so from that day on, I came back and I went straight into AA and I got, you know, my a sponsor at the time just to kind of get me through the beginning till I found who I really wanted to work with. And I found him and, um, you know, he, he has me in at seven and a half months. He still has me in step one, 
which is the willingness just to turn it over to realize I am truly yeah. powerful. Yeah. Wow. That's that's mad. I mean, I'm I'm actually only also with my sponsor. We're taking my time. I'm four and a half years sober, and I'm on step five. Right? <laughs> he said, "Don't rush, don't rush this one through." I've written down loads of things. You mentioned things like the Pilates studios during was a victim of COVID. We too, I, I too. Um, lost a business during COVID as well, which was brutal. Um, yeah. You know, mentally, financially, I think it's the mental thing that hurts me more because it's my pride. Um, before we came on air, you mentioned that you were on Beverly Housewives, uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and then made a comment that I wish I hadn't. Um, now I'm just sitting in your in your shoes and going through COVID. Pilates. Do you still have the salon, by the way? No, that I actually. Um... I hate to say I sold because that's not what a sale is. I I, I sold it, I guess. Um, in twenty eight, when did COVID, a year before COVID happened, I think twenty nineteen. So yeah, no, yeah. No wonder you started drinking because there's a lot going on there, isn't there? You know, I mean, even just I picked up on you saying your children growing up. One of the things that I learned, which I had to read in the Living Clean book, was I had to read this line so many times, right? To I had to process it because it said being a parent is a lifelong lesson of letting, learning to let go. And it is from the minute your child is born, like they're so reliant on you to, I'm going around the houses here to, to survive. And then from the minute they start to walk or they feed themselves, we're learning to let them go. Right. Yeah. So letting your, your teen, and I know Lou, you're going through something very similar with your teenage daughter, right? Mm -hmm. You've got, we've got, we're all coming out of COVID. All three of us on this biz, on this podcast have lost a business due to covid yeah we had House we had six lockdowns six lockdowns um, you know i was um, in a different state i couldn't get to the business and there was major guilt um horrible horrible life-changing it's truly like yeah. life very much life-changing and and mm. that topic for me i don't know if you want to touch on that a little bit i have my own thoughts about it and it, for some it might be whoa she's you know out of her mind and for others they probably resonate but you know to the powers that be that this all happened, shame on shame on you, shame mm, on you. Yeah. None of this yeah. had to. And, and and I go as far as I got. You know, one of one, of, and I'm sure most people know because I was openly about it. One of three or four, or however many shots they're trying to kill everybody with, um, and they make you do it. I mean, it's for me. And everybody in my family did it, and everybody in my family said I was crazy. And and after the first one, where I was literally for six months I said I will I would rather die than go through what I just went through with that vaccine no way in hell am I getting another one no you have to you have to be protected no no I don't leave me alone let's stop this conversation so I know it's really touchy with everybody but if you've noticed you know since these vaccines have run rampant how many deaths that everyone is truly witnessing truly witnessing and so I'm on a whole nother level of what what this world is really out to do to us I, um I'm a Without without changing direction on this podcast, yeah. <laughs> I just read, I read I read so I too am on the same lines as you, and I read that uh, there is a mortality rate thirty percent higher in Australia that's unexplained than any other time in history. So, without touching on it, I hear you, I see you, and um, before we just implode online, of um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <but> yeah, let's <laughs> go back to Beverly Hills Housewives. Oh yes, yes. So the sh you know that show really thought at the time. But again, we're you know we do what we are what we know, 
And at the time, I thought that I could bring some lightness into a dark place. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. And I didn't really realize that people could actually sell their soul to the devil on live TV for money. That wasn't how I was raised. That wasn't something that I sort of computed with. I thought that we could really sort of bring a situation to life. And there's natural drama. And that it would be resolved. Well, no, I'm completely, you know, my head's so far up my ass when it comes to that, um, that I have a different view now. I Look, I, again, I experienced it and I went through it and I, I tried to do the best I can. And everything we do in life is a lesson. And I did learn a lot. So I had the experience and the, the women involved. But uh, did you know sure. the women? Did you know any of the women before you? Not personally. No. Like they sort of like to make believe that you know we're connected yes we're connected by two degrees of separation we live in a city that we all are sort of you know in that sense of the word but no and and had I known well let's say that you know my triggers were all of them my triggers they turned me back into the little girl that sort of felt alone when I was a child mm. in an alcoholic family and a workaholic father with a sister who was a drug addict with all these women sort of you know and 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 I didn't have the alcohol to turn to Right. So I was turning to sort of like, I just shut down. I shut down and I couldn't isolate because I had to go on camera. But if I don't know if anyone ever saw it, but I literally almost tried never to speak <laughs> until the yeah. end. And I lost, I just lost, I lost my cool. Um, it's not something that I would probably do this go around in sobriety because it goes against yeah. everything that I am and that, that I'm learning and that my, let me just tell you that my God would never say, Hey, go be on housewives of Beverly Hills and try to you know, <laughs> fight the good fight. No, 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 no. Yeah. Eden, can you tell me um, or tell us about life now? Like what, what do you, <laughs> how do you practice life now? You know, there's going to bring up a lot of emotion because I'm really in the middle of, you know, this step one and this willingness and I'm so willing and I so want it. And I don't want to do the rest of my life at from 50 to however long, you know, um numb i don't want to be numb i want to have relationships i want to give of myself in a pure honest way i want to live up to my truest potential so i've had to learn that's something my dad would say i've had to learn how to just show up for myself to the simple things of like i said i sort of had this contract that someone was going to do it all for me and not in the sense of like um a righteous bratty you know rich girl in the sense of like oh you know, I meditate, it's going to get done. Oh, that'll be taken care of. Oh, you know, let me, let me continue to pray and talk to God or, and it'll just happen. I literally mm. thought that things would just happen. Mm. And I didn't see, which is ridiculous, watching my father work his push off for everything that he had. It never connected that I have to work that hard to get to where I want to be. If it's a relationship if it, and in a positive way, like, right, let's take the addiction yeah. back a couple and and find balance with it but I'm so unmanageable that I don't even have a center space and so now I wake up every morning and I have immediately I talk to God I talk to my higher power immediately because my own will my brain is going to go back and forth and back and forth and I'm not good and today I feel fat and what if I don't get to the gym and if I don't I mean I wake up I the truth is I wake up and I'm immediately depressed and and, and anxious why there is absolutely no reason none so this is a problem, right? This is a problem that stems right here because when I'm in my heart space and I'm with my higher power and I'm just settled and I'm calm, 
There's, I'm in the space of love and gratitude and being able to give and receive. And for some reason, the connection, the wires between the two just don't function well. So I have to wake up every day and I have to be consistent. And I do, there's an app called Glorify and they'll walk you through, you know, passage and then a walking a talk with God and, and slowly, like I'm slowly getting in, into this, um, because I need to understand, I need to understand why I can't just have that unsigned contract thinking that it's just going to happen. I have to do the work. And part of that is understanding, right? I'm having these feelings and feelings are information. And if I don't process them, then I'm sort of just again, lost in the abyss. So, um, I am consistent. I wake up and I do my meditation. I do my readings. I do share them on my Instagram because there are people I was, I was sober on the show. I wasn't necessarily in my recovery, but so I had a lot of people through the housewives of Beverly Hills, which was a good thing that were looking, you know, to find recovery and to get sober. And so if I have to be the little Buddha bridge that helps people get to where they want to go, then sign me up all day long. Mm -hmm. So I share, I, I recover out loud and, um, and then I, I have to slow it down. You see my brain and where it goes. So I have to write my just for today list. And what does that look like? If there's three things on that list, that's fine. If it's to go to a meeting and to go to the gym and, and when I'm ready in the future, depending on what my career might look like or a job might look like, then that's different. But for today, I'm going to manage just this. Even if it's, I'm not kidding you, go get your mail, Eden. The mailbox doesn't just empty by itself. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> It's amazing, isn't it? It's like with that that inner voice in our head that makes us feel so alone, so insecure. So it gets louder and louder if we don't practice. Like to, the thought of, we've covered this on previous episodes, like the thought of me praying because I've been an atheist most of my life. Now I pray every day. It's not to ask for anything. It's all about gratitude. I thank the, the, you know my higher power for my beautiful family, for the house that's above my head and all that kind of stuff. But after as you were talking and listening to your story, obviously born into a very famous family, right? When I lived in LA, uh, it was at the time when Meet the Osbournes came out and my friends worked on Meet the Osbournes show. And I can remember being in LA thinking, God, if only I was born into that family, they've got such a blessed family. Like they, I, I would love to be on that family. You know, if, if I was part of the Osbournes, my life would be perfect. And then as we know, the beautiful thing about hindsight and my friends that worked on the show were like, it's this, it's a very challenging environment, Clive. And then referring this back to the Matthew Perry autobiography, he said, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm God, if I'm famous, make me famous in LA and you can do whatever else you want to do with me. He said, at one point I was dating Julia Roberts. He said, I was earning over a million dollars a week. I had the the house overlooking the, the best view in LA over Pacific Palisades and one in New York and one in Cabo San Lucas. And I was so, so broken and so alone. And I, when I read that, I was like, that's, does it just prove to me? Because I can remember driving along Sunset and seeing Heath Ledger on a billboard, who's obviously from Australia, just not long before, before just before he passed. He was on first night. He was on all the way down La Cienega. And I thought, man, what must that kid from Perth be? He must be living the best life ever. And now we now know that he was just like River Phoenix, like many yeah. other yeah. talented people, are just so broken. And it doesn't matter where we come from, what we do. Well, that voice is so fucking loud. So loud. And, and we, if we don't. And what you've just, I think I'm just rabbiting on here, but what you just explained was, and, and if it can be any inspiration to you, Eden, I got, it took me till I was 50 to get sober, even though you've got many more years of sobriety oh, up on me. But, oh, seven but you months. know, 
I'm still feel like sometimes that, you know, I really, if I don't practice this program and I don't focus on what's important to me and, and I'm going to just go, go down a little rabbit hole here before we came on this, this podcast, I had so many internet issues and usually I would run down the road and smoke, right? I would go and buy a pack of cigarettes and I would smoke, 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 and then I'd hate myself, but I've, I've had to break the cycle and I'm counting days. I went out the front and I watered the fucking grass to take my mind off. <laughs> getting in the car and driving down to the to the to the servo and the garage as we call it and buying a pack of Marlboro and coming back and having five cigarettes before I speak to the great Eden Sassoon because my anxiety was going through the roof right? right so I just took myself out the front and just got on the hose and just distracted myself for four minutes until Amy arrived to do this podcast but there's little things in life they're so important aren't they just to stop be present and just yeah. go, fuck, it's so you, all in my head. You took a pause, which was amazing for a step, right? Because we never take that pause. We sort of just react. And you, you'll yeah. find yourself in the market and you're buying your cigarettes and you're five down and you're like, what just happened? You took a yeah. pause and then you actually changed your state. And by changing your state, you shift your energy, you know, yeah. and you put yourself in a different state. Any, we could have meditated at the time. We could have been dancing. We could have done anything to get out of that state that you were about mm. to go buy the cigarettes, which which is the killer, right? Yeah. It's so fascinating and interesting how the mind works. And if we could right, just slow down and realize, look, I had to I had to get this thing like huh, I'm by nowhere getting it. But on a I literally had to pull it back down to like, okay, if it's not the 24 hour, it's the one day at a time, 24 hour, bring it back down to less. Okay, so you're up for what? Maybe 15, I don't know, 15 hours, Eden. You got 15 hours just for today. You are a happy mm. person. You give love. Like, you can do this. I don't know where my mind kind of gone to this place of, like, oh, I have to take on the world and do everything. No. You know what? It, I mean, for me, it's like, yes, every day I must work this program. I must give it away. But I also have to give so much to myself as I'm learning and rebuilding myself because I have nothing to give. And mm. really allowing myself, like, the freedom and the grace and the compassion and the willingness and the open-mindedness and the humility and the, you, you know, the patience and just like, where are we all trying to get to anyway? You know, when you said about bringing it down to the day, like that small window, that really helps, you know. Um, I, uh, during COVID, when I hit the lowest of lows, um, and at the time, turned to alcohol every afternoon um, to take the edge off the day. Um, I then decided to get into, I did an NLP um, program, which was amazing. And I learned to chunk everything down and to reverse engineer everything and to bring everything to the smallest little detail as possible because that. I found I could handle. Mm. I couldn't handle too far into the future. I could yeah. just handle that next step. And yeah. if that's one thing, um, you know, that I learned from from that was not looking at the whole staircase, just looking at the next step. And yeah. with that, I found that that's how I managed my anxiety. Yes. Thank you for sharing that because – I think I tend to still sort of it goes like out like everything mm. in life when no it's it's really it's you know I, I sound intense and so 
passionate because I'm in the transition. Like we, we all are on a day, but I mean, really, if I can pause long enough and really get into my heart, like I'm so blessed, I'm so grateful. And it's not that difficult. You just put one foot in front of the other and take usually contrary action because my, you know, original thought is not the right thought. Like, Talk to talk to wherever wherever that higher he she mm. whatever you want to call it where is that find it connect to it connect to source and right there you start to just sort of like oh and okay. purpose as well yes it, it's, yes yeah. that, that's something that you know as you were saying that that pulled that took me down I did not uh, I didn't have a purpose and so alcohol seemed like a good idea. Mm. It's so funny, isn't it? Because like, even though I've been sober for four and a half years, clean and sober, about a year ago, I, I went through a tough time and I picked up the smoking thing, um, which was crazy because it was the one thing um, that I'm probably guaranteed is going to kill me. Anyway, what happened is I found myself in the same mindset that I was going back almost like a relapse, right? Going down and buying the cigarettes because I knew it was naughty. I knew it was I knew it was bad. It was the bad poi part of me. But I did the same mindset like a relapse, right? So I was, So what happened is when fear, anger, resentment, anxiety, when I felt cornered came into my life, I had this compulsion issue, um, addiction issue that I would see red and I would push people out the way and I would go get in the car and go, I need a cigarette, just like I needed a drink, just like I needed cocaine, which I'd stopped and I knew how I could stop that. Right. But I couldn't do it with the smoking, right? And I would drive down there and I go and I would be blinkered. Like, I just need a cigarette. I just need a cigarette. And I would you know and but I'd almost almost be crying on the inside as well. Because yeah. I knew I didn't want to I knew I didn't want to do it. And the minute I would take a drag out of that first cigarette, I'd feel shame, how horrible, I'd want to throw it away. And I went through this cycle for months and months and months. And then it was just like eating me away inside. And then um, it's that feeling out of my head. I want to get out of my head, right? Yes. When you say, oh, he's out of his head. You, you know, did you see the state of Clive? He was out of his head on the, on the weekend. That's what it used to be like. But right. anything to be in this fucking head is where I want to be because in here it gets really loud. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that whatever we do, and thank you for sharing that thing about pausing, because it takes a lot of effort and a lot of willpower and a lot of control to be able to go, stop, Clive, just stop. And just, I did it yesterday three times. When I needed a cigarette, I went and sat in the garden and I put a podcast on. I put a, a meditation on to, to break the circuit. <laughs> and I, I, I was a smoker, Clive, and, and I got hypnotized. And this was 12 years ago, 11 years ago, and it, it's worked ever since. And so one of the tools, I mean, he, he, obviously sort of refocuses your mind to understand it in a different way. And this was so long ago, but I do remember that it was every time that urge came up, you said to your brain, there is no option. There is no option. There is no option. And every yeah. single time that urge came up, you literally are sort of, because your brain just, I mean, we know, right? It just is, thinks it's doing the right thing. And let's, you know, we're going to get what we want. We're in survival mode. No, 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 no. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, so there are ways that, and I love that you're doing that and that you're pausing, that you're just, you're retraining, you're retraining everything that you think you know about how you should, you know, feed that giant size hole that you have. And now it's cigarettes. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm counting days, as I say, and I'm chuffed I'm past that 
24-hour withdrawal process, you know, but I'm, I'm getting there. And it's I know it's a day, but I know it's only a little thing. And people no, look at me and go, you know, it's a big thing. It's a big thing for me because it affects my mental health, you know. Um, it's a big uh, thing. When it, we're nearly up to an hour. Um, Lou, before we finish, is there anything you would like to ask Eden before we, we, we kind of wrap up? Because Eden, I, you've been amazing. I, I love you, you have been. You've been absolutely I, wonderful. I'm been sorry wonderful. if I talk too much. I want to No, stop. no, no. no. Uh, I, I would just love to know about your purpose and about moving forward, you know, um, I, I know that that you have um, that you you know you struggle with addiction. Can you can you talk about the good things like what the the positive things? It's a, truly a gift. So I my relationship with God and my higher power. The you know the message that I that I want to continue to share and showing up. And there's a way that I am with people. There's a there's a way that I sort of. One, I don't judge others. I mean, I'm my own worst enemy, right? I don't do what I do to myself to others ever. I love individuals, and I and I, I, I was born with this sense of um, a gift, truly a gift to just be kind and present and hold space for others. So that being said, where I'm at now is, you know, I don't want it to be me, 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 me at all. I want to be. How can I be of service? Where do I need to show up? And through this journey of recovery definitely God will show me what, where he wants me 100%. And right now it's looking like in the world of using my voice and being in recovery. And I don't know if that means, you know, at some point we will sort of, because we've lost two individuals already under the Sassoon name, sort of open some sort of Sassoon recovery, mm -hmm. um, which I think is. That would be amazing. To be quite honest. Yeah. So, and really work hands on with that and be present. And there's sort of a team sort of, <laughs> that's funny. You're only as good as your team. Um, coming together naturally by the grace of God. So that to me is um, what I can say today. And that I hope that that's God's plan for me because right, right now that seems to be um, the next stages. I'm getting education and certain things in recovery and how to work with different patients and, you know, one step at a time. And granted, look, my recovery will have to come first because there's I can't give something away that I don't have. Um, well, we can't pour from an empty cup. Right, right. And mine, yeah. you know, is full as it is, it is. It's as empty as it is in the same moment. So, yeah. yeah. But that's, that's um, after losing my brother, you know, this is like, and because getting sober at the same time. And hey, by the grace of God, one day at a time, I stayed sober through my. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. And, and yeah. I've. Dear, can we just show his picture really quickly? <laughs> sure, yeah. absolutely. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, fabulous. Beautiful. So, you know, I miss him and I won't let his, his or my sister for that matter, you know, I, I, I will do the work for myself and I will pay it forward to others. And in, we don't really do small things, so I'd like to be in recovery and however that shows up. I've got major goosebumps, Eden. What, honey? Yeah. I've got major goosebumps. Yeah. You know what, as well, Eden, there's a saying, there's a saying that we have, and I love the idea of where your, your, the, your mindset of moving forward with the recovery journey and using your name. Because the reason why we started this podcast was because there are so many hairdressers that have been battling with addiction, mm. that we're battling businesses, we've got so many pressures of life right now. Um, there's a saying that we have in recovery, I can't, but we can right yeah. we can recover together like we're left to my own way of thinking i'm fucked right so 
you know, but we can do this together. And that's why we wanted to start this podcast was because there's, there's so many of us in this, you know, we're, we're, there's single moms, business owners, we've got the, you know, raising mortgage prices, we've got everything being thrown at us. And one of the things I'm going to take this full circle was your father was an inspiration to millions of hairdressers because of his, his precision and his, and as you said, that addict almost line of thinking, which when you started speaking, I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense to me mm -hmm. that he was so focused. And I see it today with all of us, our lives are so busy when the fact that so many children that are being, we are become invisible. We don't get seen or heard. And, and I, knowing the journey that I've been on, we've been on, like I am being present because I took drugs and alcohol for so many years. Unfortunately, I have a lot of, my, my kids saw a lot of the nasty side of, of Clive. But even when I go out for dinner now, when I see a family sitting and their mum, dad, and the kids are on their iPads and they're not speaking, I'm looking at it and I'm going, fuck, that's how addiction starts. It starts right back here, right? It starts from like not being seen or heard or whatever. Yeah. And and filling that void, like Clive was never enough, right? Mm -hmm. I had to go and as, to sit with me. I remember a girlfriend telling me many years ago, and if you're listening to this, I'm really sorry because <laughs> I was horrible. <laughs> she said to me, Clive, you cannot sit with yourself for more than five minutes. She said, when you have five minutes to yourself, because it's scary. She said, you are on the phone. You're going to a pub. You're having beers with people. She goes, you need to learn to sit in your own skin. And at the time I was like, why would the fuck would I want to do that when the pubs are open? I now get exactly what she meant. And it's, it's all in here, right? I can't fill that void with, with any more drugs or any more alcohol or any more cigarettes or any more relationships or whatever it is. It's, it's, this shit is hard. But to change, to change that way of feeling getting out of my head is so fucking easy, but it's so damaging. You know, I just take a pill, I take a line, I take a drink and it's gone. And, uh, but then it comes back 10 times worse and I can't deal with life. Um, Eden, you have been incredible. I've loved chatting to you. We've never met. I can't believe all the times I lived in, I lived in LA and we never crossed paths. <laughs> well, I'll find you got, well, you're not close to one another, right? No. We're... Oh, we see Lou all the time. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not too far away. Because you know that the, the industry is my family and I see the, the detriment and the pain and the suffering and I, and I firsthandedly watched it too. So I am... I'm at your service in any way because Thank you. this is near and dear as we've discussed to my heart. So we're in again together. We can. So however I can together, we can anyone that I have, it, you know, will, I will pass it along. It truly takes a village. And I, I honestly believe that saying. I, I have to say hats off to you guys because, you know, both these things are right and right and right in my heart, the industry and addiction. Make it a place of like this industry in recovery. Oh my God, it's mind blowing. I love it. I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it. And truly, I we just started a podcast, my girlfriend and I, um, pretty much right, it's called Life. And it's thus far our guests have been in recovery. Um, but we don't know which direction we're going to take it. Not not in the hair industry, but I think that working together somehow also. You yeah, know, that'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. we'd love. Yeah, whatever we can do. Because yeah, we. I think we, if we recover loudly, we 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 hopefully stop stop somebody dying slight quietly. So you know what I mean. That together we can. We we're going to need to be as loud as possible because I, this affects well, every everybody. Whatever that looks like, 
let, maybe we could get creative with this and, and we could really create some from big waves. As Eden said, we want to make this very, very loud and this story to be um, the story of recovery, one that's very close to all of our hearts. Please leave us a rating and review because they are important. They help us get traction. They help us attract new future guests. We do want to take this podcast into new generation, a new generation, new direction moving forward in 2024. So it is really important to us. Amy, thanks so much for producing today's show. Lou, thanks for being my co-host. Without both of you beautiful women, none of this would be possible. I know we've overcome some challenges to get here. That's Straight Edge, the podcast. And tune in next week for another episode.